Good afternoon, everybody. It is Thursday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, digital sports producer for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Back with Paul Zeiss, our uh, sports columnist for our weekly Zeiss is Right video. Paul, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing today? I, I'm doing okay, but Paul, it is All-Star MLB All-Star Week, which means this is the deadest week for sports talk of the year, sports news. Nothing's really happening outside of, like, the All-Star game itself, which... Um, as we're recording, this is over, and the ESPYs. So uh, I'm not going to talk about the ESPYs, but I do want to talk to you about some uh, – let's just talk about the, the Steelers' schedule a little bit. Um, and just a reminder before we get started here that this uh, video, the, the Steelers' portions of these videos are sponsored by Pella, uh, Windows and Doors, um, reliable service in Pittsburgh. Make sure you check them out. Uh, we really appreciate their support for all of our Steelers' content, so shout-out to them before we get started. But, yeah, Paul, I just want to get into the Steelers' schedule a little bit because we, we talk about it when it gets released, and then we talk about it again at this time time of year when there's not a lot going on. I wanted to talk to you about what I think are and you think are the five most important games on this slate this season. Um, I'll go to you first. What are, what are some games that you're looking at? And then I can get into the list that I, I prepared of what I think are going to be the most important games that are going to tell us whether this team is going to compete for something or it's it's dead in the water. Well, the one thing I would say is, I mean, you, right out of the right out of the shoot, if you look at it, they play San Francisco, right? Uh, they play the 49ers. That'll probably give us a really good idea of just how good uh, they are and, and and where they can compete. But I, I think the first two weeks of the season really set the tone. They got home games against 49ers and against the Browns. Two good teams. If they win those two games, I think it puts them in a really good spot, uh, gets them off and running to where they uh, have a chance maybe to do something pretty uh, pretty spectacular in terms of maybe getting to 10 or 11 wins. Uh, but those two games to me are probably two of the most important games of the year because they're at home. What are your expectations of them against San Francisco? Because that was also the first one on my list. I went chronologically, not numbered. Um, so right. that was the first one on my list because San Francisco is not only a good team, but I think they're doing some creative, innovative stuff um, with Kyle Shanahan. They, they had one of the most, I think, dynamic <laughs> offensive attacks last season, um, you know, Debo Samuel. And, and right. they were able to weather, weather losing all their quarterbacks, getting down to Brock Purdy. Um, regardless of who's behind center for them, what, what do you think it'll mean if even if the Steelers don't win that game but if they come out and they do a pretty reasonable job stopping the run for San Francisco make some good plays is that kind of a good bellwether for you that they'll be able to do the things that they need to do over the course of the season to beat teams that may not be nearly as dynamic as the 49ers well, I think the big thing is because the 49ers play that style, physical, you know, f tough man football or whatever you want to call it, that's the way the Steelers want to play, isn't it? And so that if they play that way and they're able to be successful against the 49ers, um, that's probably a pretty good sign. Really, that's probably a, a very, very good sign of the fact that <coughs> – Sorry about that. I got something in my throat. Uh, that, that's probably a really good sign that they can play the way they want to play and have success because the 49ers <clears throat> are that team. And uh, that's the way, if you look at the way that the 49ers play, they try and maul you on offense, right? They try and physically beat you on offense. They try and scheme you on offense. Um, <clears throat> defensively, 
They play really well also. So if the, if the Steelers are able to score points against them and they're able to, you know, uh, be kind of one step ahead of them in running the football and controlling the game, um, I, I really think that that's a good sign for the entire season because that's the way they want to play. I mean, the 49ers in a lot of ways play the way the Steelers want to play where, you know, they run the ball, they, they run the ball from uh, non-traditional positions, they run the ball out of different kinds of uh, schemes and packages. I mean, they do a really good job of trying to get a physical mismatch in every, in every formation and get the ball to the guy uh, that has that mismatch. That's kind of what Matt Canada's offense is. That's kind of the way that they want to play. Um, so, you know, you're playing a good team. You're playing them at home. I think, it's a, I think it's a really good test for the Steelers because of the style of play that the 49ers play. Yes. Yeah, that's why it was the first one on my list. I think that Browns game you highlighted is definitely an interesting one, going to be important. Um, then the next two after that, I believe, are Vegas and Houston. I think those are two winnable games. Which if, they lose in- one of those, if they lose one of those games, probably it's a bad sign. Yeah, that would be a bad time. But I think the next, like, what I consider bellwether game is probably that week five game against Baltimore. Let's say you go one-on-one against uh, Cleveland and San Francisco to start. Let's say you get both of those games against Vegas and um, Houston. That's the last game before the week six bye against Baltimore. You'll have a chance, Paul, to maybe be four-and-one going into the bye. And I think if they can get a win in that game, what kind of how, what is the importance of having that momentum going into the week off? Well, I mean, I think the one thing is they've used the week off really well in recent years. So they're four and one or five and one. Then you then you start thinking maybe the sky's the limit when they get out of that. Especially because they'll be you know if they're four and one, <clears throat> say their losses to San Francisco, they're four uh, four and one and they have two division wins already. You know now you start to think that maybe they could win the division. Um, because in, in order to win the division, you, you, the team that figures out how to go four and two in a division or better is going to win the division. I really believe that. I think the division is difficult. I think there's a lot of really good teams in that division. I think there's a lot of good quarterbacks in that division, obviously. Um, if you go four and two against those other teams, uh, that's going to give you a really big step up. Well, if you're two and oh, you're halfway to four wins. You know, you're halfway to the four wins that you need. Uh, probably to have a chance to win the division. Then you get the week off, people get healed, and this and that. I tell you, the one thing that is a little bit uh, different this year is and, and, and you have an early bye week, which means, you know, when you get down to week 16, 17, your guys are beat up a little bit. They're not getting any time off. And, and so that's where it becomes really, really uh, important if you have a chance to get the set, you know, one or uh, the one seat, I guess it's just the one seat now, right? So uh, you, you're probably still going to have to play on, on wild card weekend no matter what because you're not going to be the one seat. I mean, I think it's pretty clear the Chiefs will, you know, find a way to be the one seat by the end of it. Um, but my point is <clears throat> it's going to be interesting to see if now, you know, you're playing basically how many weeks, what, 11 weeks in a row going into the playoffs without a, without a week off. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that – that uh, translates into them being healthy and ready to play uh, in the playoffs. And here's the other thing, Adam. They might not have the luxury of resting people. I mean, they might need to continue to play all the way to the end of the season and not get a chance to give some of their guys a break. Um, So are they going to be a beat-up, tired team? When they get to the playoffs, I don't know. I'm just saying 
uh, the bye week coming that early, I think changes maybe some of my thoughts about really the, the second half of the season. Yeah, and I think that's why that Baltimore game is important, because if you can get ahead of the eight ball there, then maybe you can afford, you know, a loss or two down the stretch, um, you know, once once you've maybe started a little bit more control. So that's why I kind of look at, at week five as that next big one. Um, after that, I, I think week eight is the thing that I'm circling on the calendar. That is the home game against Jacksonville. Uh, it's the second game after the bye. That's a team, Paul, that I think you need to be able to prove you can beat at home to be taken seriously as one of those, uh, you know, teams that's challenging the, the top three, right, of Cincinnati, uh, Buffalo, and um, you, you mentioned Kansas City. Right. If, if, you can, if you can beat a team like Jacksonville that's in that next tier, then I think that's when we really begin to take you seriously as – you know, not just a playoff contender, I think, because I, I think this team has the capability to make the playoffs. But if you win that game and you, you're four and one, maybe um, five and one, something like that, I, I think that really gives you credibility as a team that can not just make the playoffs, but maybe challenge some of those teams once you get there. Yeah, the shame of it is the fact that Jacksonville's going to win their division. So that's probably not going to be for playoff positioning for you um, because I think it's pretty clear if you look at that division, um, it's a bad it, – that division's bad. Tennessee's, you know, going to be not very good. Um, you know, Houston is horrific, maybe the worst team in football, and it'll be a little better but not much, right? And so and, – and, and the Colts have been a mess uh, at the quarterback spot and, and, and other things. So – it would be better if that Jacksonville game was like, oh well, this is kind of a borderline. Uh, this is kind of a borderline uh, uh, wild card team because that would be a game that would actually be really important for wild card standings. And and those are the games that you look at really when you talk about importance. I mean, there's obviously the division games, but it's kind of interesting if you look at the Steelers' schedule in the AFC. They don't play a lot of wild card teams, you know. Uh, if you look at it. They play, for instance, the Colts. At that point in the season when they play them, it's going to be late. I think the Colts will be eliminated by now. They'll be way out of it. So, I, I mean, I look at the Colts. That's not really a game for wild card positioning. I guess New England on December 7th is a big one. That could be for wild card positioning. But I could also make a case that New England's going to finish fourth in their own division. Be behind the Bills, the Jets, and the, and, and the Dolphins. Um, so, Maybe that's a, a game, but there's not a lot of games like that. They play Tennessee. Tennessee's not going to be a wild card team either. Um, so to your point, yes, beating Jacksonville is important from the standpoint of, you know, establishing that you're legitimately a playoff team and, and being able to win at home is always important and showing that you can play with a team that's probably a division winner. But the shame of it is, you know, because that was one of the things I looked for. I, I didn't see a whole lot of, you know, games where they're playing wild card teams that the game would mean, you know, maybe might mean something when it comes to tiebreakers. I don't think any of the teams they're playing in the AFC are going to be involved in tiebreakers with them because they're either like Jacksonville, a, a division winner, or they're like Indianapolis, uh, 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 Tennessee, you know, teams that are just not going not, not gonna to be in it. One thing I'll say about uh, Jacksonville before I move on to Paul is that, like, yeah, maybe it doesn't mean anything for, for positioning, but once you get to the playoffs, that's a team you have to be able to beat to have any hope of doing anything, right? And, and so that's why I think it's a, maybe more of a measuring stick than it is, you know, essential for 
um, you know, making the playoffs. But if, I think if you win that game, you can be taken seriously as a threat, not just to make the playoffs, but to win when you get there. I think New England in week 14, I believe, let me check my numbers here. Yes, that is week 14. You mentioned that one earlier. That's another one I had circled, Paul, because, listen, going to New England, they're just it's not a thing the Steelers have traditionally been very good at. Um, Tom Brady's not there. It's a different franchise. It's a different situation. But I think psychologically, it would do a lot for the Steelers to go into Foxborough and come out with a win at that stage of the season against a team like that for many of the same reasons that you just mentioned, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, New England, to me, if you think about it, I do think they have a chance to be in that wild card discussion. You know, I do. I mean, I think that, um, you know, it's still Bill Belichick. They should have a good defense. If Mac Jones gets a little bit better and stays healthy, you know, they added a couple of weapons. I can absolutely see that. But I'm going to tell you, um, I think it's really difficult for them when you've got the Jets who loaded up, right? And you've got the, uh, uh, um, the, the Dolphins, I think, are still going to be good. You've got uh, uh, the Bills, who, you know, might be the best team in the AFC this year. Who knows? Uh, when you've got six, three, you know, six games essentially like that, right, it doesn't leave you for a lot of margin for error um, if you're going to try and be a, a wild card team. You know, if you're in a really difficult division, Jet. <coughs> Generally, the last place team in that division is not going to be in a wild card game. <clears throat> I got to correct myself, Paul. That that game is actually at Acrisure Stadium. That is not in Foxborough, but still, I think psychologically, beating the Patriots, especially at that stage of the season, is is an important well, it's thing that this team has to do. Yeah, it's going to be important because it's an AFC game. <clears throat> you know what I mean? But again, I just don't know where the Patriots are going to fit. I just that's the biggest thing with me. I just don't know where they fit. That's that's uh, you know I I, I kind of think that they're they're, they're going to be a team that uh, maybe hangs around like they did this year eight and eight nine you know or whatever but I just kind of feel like that's a team that is going to finish last in that division and if you finish last in that divi- in a division it's really difficult to be to make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The last one, Paul, I had as, as a big game, a, a bellwether game, is that home game against Cincinnati two weeks later, week 16. I look at that, Paul, as, as kind of the, the culmination of this this two-year effort. I, I've been talking, if you listen to this, if you listen to our post-game shows last season during the, uh, during the year, if you've listened to any of the, of the talk that we've had on this program, I've said I looked at the Steelers as a two-year rebuild, right? When from right. the moment of drafting Kenny Pickett to the end of this coming season, regardless of what record they have going into week week sixteen, maybe they're in playoff position, maybe they're not. Who knows? I think organizationally that is a huge game because if you can beat Cincinnati at the end of the second year after drafting Kenny Pickett, after you know making a lot of changes to your roster, that gives people reason to take you seriously from here on, right? And it's proving that things are different, that you're out of this mid-range where you're going to, like, finish around between 500 and, you know, the early rung of the playoffs, and you're a team that can beat some of these good quarterbacks, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and and conceivably have a path to the Super Bowl in subsequent years. I, I don't think that this is the year for the Steelers, but I think going into a game like that, that's where you prove that you can be that team in the years ahead. And that's why I'm circling that game is really important as, as a measuring stick. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing uh, with that is, 
you have to at some point establish that they're not going to run away with the division for the rest of their, you know, Joe Burrow's existence. That's the biggest thing. You want to make sure that you uh, can, can can prove that you can win that division and that you can compete with the Bengals, that just because they have Joe Burrow and company and this and that and the other thing, uh, hey, listen, we split with them or we beat them both times or whatever. Um, that is important because they're the division. Right now they're the bell cow in the division. They're the team that everybody seems to be chasing. Um, so if you can sort of knock them off, prove that you can compete with them, prove that, hey, we can play with them, prove that you're not afraid of Joe Burrow and company. Um, I'll be honest with you, at that point, if you win that game and you go into the playoffs, there's no reason to believe that you can't make a little bit of a run in the playoffs because the Bengals are probably right there among the best teams with the Chiefs and the Bills. So if you beat one of those three best teams and prove that you can win the game against them, I, uh, I think this guy, you know, I'm not going to say you're a Super Bowl team, but it clearly establishes that you're not just going to concede the division to the Bengals for the last year, for the next five or six years until Joe Burrow gets old. Yeah, I think I, I'm going to make the comparison to that. Do you remember that wild card playoff game in Cincinnati in 2005 on the run to the Steelers winning that first Super Bowl with Ben Roethlisberger? Carson Palmer had a bunch of weapons. They were looking like an ascendant team. Um, and and the Steelers kind of fell off from the year before when Ben Roethlisberger went 15-1. and one. Not a lot of people were taking them seriously. They had to win, I think, those last four games to make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. And then they go in and they beat Carson Palmer, and that starts them on the run to a Super Bowl championship. And I think that kind of illustrates your point, Paul. Even if this is kind of like a fringy you know, 10, 11, 12-win team, if, if you win a game like that, that's the kind of thing that, that can really send you on a run that maybe a lot of people are not expecting you to go on because um, Super Bowls have been won that way in the modern era, and no one knows that better than the Steelers do. But, and again, if they, if they beat the Bengals, it won't be a fluke. You know what I mean? It won't be, you know, sometimes you see these upsets where really a bad team just happens to, or a good team plays really poorly or whatever. If they beat the Bengals, they're going to have to beat them because the Bengals are going to play – because it's a, a you know it's a it's a rivalry game it's an AFC you know AFC North ball or whatever Mike Tomlin calls it it's a rivalry game so the Bengals are going to give them a good shot you know I mean the the first game was it last year the year before that was a little bit fluky but that was in week one you know when they had five interceptions or six interceptions or whatever it was and and ended up hanging on for dear life because the the uh, uh, Long snapper tore his bicep or whatever, so they couldn't snap for the extra point and then end up going into overtime and then they couldn't kick a field goal. Um, you know, that, that was a little fluky, but that was week one. Uh, for the most part, if they beat the Bengals in week 14, you know, down the, down the stretch of the playoff race, uh, it, that's a big win for them. And, and, and they'll have to earn it. That's the other thing. They'll have to earn it. I agree. And, Paul, that's, so that's our five. Is there any other game that we didn't mention that you wanted to, to highlight? Well, I mean, again, it goes without saying the Ravens games, obviously, right? The Ravens games and, you know, uh, but that, those are the games um, that, to me, I look at the Rams game, Jacksonville, I'm sorry, the Rams game, Tennessee at home, Green Bay at home, Arizona at home. Bad teams, you have to win those games, okay? Bad teams, you have to beat. You cannot lose games to bad teams. You just win the games you're supposed to win. 
They'll be in the playoffs. You know, they'll probably even be like maybe even in, in the in the hunt for a division title, right? You want to tell me you go out to Seattle and lose? Okay, that's not a bad loss, whatever. You want to tell me you lose, you know, to Baltimore? Uh, you know, but you cannot lose to Houston. You can't lose to Vegas. I mean, if you look at it, uh, these are the games you have to win. Vegas, Houston, right? The Rams, Tennessee, Green Bay, and Arizona. That's six wins if you just beat bad teams. That's six. At that point, you know, you got 11 games left. Even if you only go, you know, six and five, you're at 10 wins and you're in the playoffs. But you got to win those six games. Yeah, I agree. Taking care of business. I mean, I guess that's why I didn't put them on there, Paul. But it, you should you should beat those teams. And and you know, if you lose, then I, I think those work in the other way. If they're telling they're telling us that this team is not possibly very good, but right. yeah, I think those games in the middle that we just highlighted, I think they will be the ones that tell us the most about how this season is going to end. Uh, Paul, before we go here, I want to talk a little buckos with you. And before I do, just a reminder, our Steelers coverage here on the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel and on our podcast feeds is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. Please check them out and uh, support them for supporting us. Uh, but now, Paul, I want to get into some Pirates talk a little bit. The draft this week, um, Paul Skeens was the first overall pick. I think a lot of people were pretty satisfied with that. I think it, it, some people, I think I preferred Cruz. I think you preferred Dylan Cruz from LSU as the position player, the guy you're having in your lineup every day. I don't have a problem with Paul Skeens. I think if you'd gone outside of those two, that's where I would have started to take issue. Um, I guess first give me a reaction to that, and second give me a reaction to um, all the college pitchers they selected in day two. Well, let's start with Paul Skeens. I think as we talked about last week, Adam, I could live with either one as long as it was one of those two. You and I prefer the position player, but I don't have a problem when you're picking an ace pitcher, a guy who, who conceivably, again, we don't know what's going to happen, conceivably could be ace, one, you know, 1A, whatever you want to call it, top pitcher for you for five or six years. If you get five or six really good years of, from him before you have to let him go because you can't afford him anymore – it will be well worth it um, because he is a guy who has that kind of pedigree and that kind of ability to be a superstar. You know, there's sometimes you see these pitchers that are picked in the first round and, you know, they're more crafty than they are. This guy is a power arm. He's a big, strong, sturdy kid, right? You would think he probably will have an opportunity um, you know, to stay healthy because of his build and how strong he is and how big he is and, and all that other stuff. But to me, I have no issue with them taking him. Uh, I would have preferred the position player for a number of reasons. I'm just, that's just me. But I do buy a little bit of the argument that you're not going to get a guy like this. You're not going to get a guy like Garrett Cole. You're not going to get a guy like that unless you draft him because they can't afford to sign those guys off of the open market, right? If, if Paul, if, 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 uh, if uh, Skeens is, a, er, that's his name, right? Uh, anyway, if he's the guy we think he is, right? Six years from now, they won't be able to afford him. But that's okay if you get six years out of him, right? If you get six years out of him, uh, it should coincide with this period where you've grown this team and this roster and got them to the point, right, where now you've got a lot of young guys that are ready to start playing. Well, if you have a three- or four-year window with this group, right, Davis, 
Gonzalez, Cruz, and I mean O'Neill Cruz, right? Hayes to a lesser extent, but Hayes, you know, nevertheless, right? And you bring up Andy Rodriguez, and you've got Sawinski gets better. Now you've got a group that you're going to keep together for five or, you know, four, five, six years, uh, even Reynolds, right? Guess what? If you can throw in a an ace, an actual one-stopper stud pitcher at the top of your rotation, now all of a sudden you have an opportunity to legitimately be a playoff team, and not just a playoff team, a team that can win in the playoffs – if you're able to add a couple of other pitchers, you know, to your rotation and, and maybe get you, you keep Mitch Keller for another four years or three or four years, I don't know. But you, but, but at the end of the day, I don't see a downside to picking him, you know, uh, I, other than he's a pitcher and pitchers sometimes have arm problems, arm issues. Uh, where I will take issue with it, however, is if they play this game where he's got to, you know, well, he needs to throw so many innings in, in, in the minors. No, no. No, you, you picked this guy because you thought he was very close to being ready for the, the majors. You thought he could be a, a guy that is an immediate contributor. You don't want to use him this year. You want to try and save his arm. I'll live with that, okay? But next year, he better be in the rotation either at the start of the season or very close to the start of the season. He better be in the rotation uh, because you're not going to have five pitchers on your roster better than him. Yes, you're not you're not hearing any service time manipulation concerns, Paul. You'd say, well, we, instead of getting him for six years, you get him for seven years if you wait till next June. Because that's they what they do. With, that's what they did with Garrett Cole, right? But if they do that, then they then they get anything they deserve. Because as you and I talked about it, there's no bigger scam, no bigger scam out there, none, than the whole service time crap. Because. They never get to the service time. They never get to the end of it. They never get there. They, they trade guys a year or two early, or they, or, or they you know, uh, maybe give a guy an extension for a year or two, or they've, you know, in, in the past they've bought some guys out. But they never get to the end of these contracts. So whether it's six years or six and a half years or seven years or whatever, it's silly. The reality of the Pirates are you've got a group of young players that you, for the last four years, put together. It seems like they're ready now to start bursting out and, and, and start putting together uh, the, you know, the, 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 the foundation of a team that is ready to win. If you hold, if you hold uh, the skins back, right, you hold them back, two years even, you're wasting time. You're wasting time. Worry about at the end of his contract and the end of his time at the end of his time. Right now, you need him to be a pitcher. So let him be a pitcher and don't, you know, all that other all that other service time crap. I don't want to hear it. I, on this one, I don't want to hear it. You know, there, there have been times when I, I've been, uh, I, yeah, it makes sense to hold a guy for 10, you know, for, for a month or two. I get it. I understand that. On this one, there's none of that that makes any sense to me. I'll tell you why I also like the Skeens pick, Paul, is specifically in the context of what's happened with Luis Ortiz, Ronzi Contreras, to a lesser extent, Johan Oviedo. Um, the, the ability of this regime to develop pitching has has me concerned, and I think it should have everyone concerned. And I, I think the good thing about Paul Skeens is that he's ready-made. He's already done a lot of the development, right? And, and right. that's... And I think that is part of why they went after so many of those college pitchers in the day two as well, because those guys have been developed. They are not totally proven commodities. I'm not saying any of them other than schemes are going to come up here immediately and start contributing, but they've thought they have more polish on them than a lot of other prospects that the Pirates have in the system. Um, I, you know, I, I think that that is an important thing to point out, too, is that 
that that makes it even more important to get a guy like Paul Skeens when he's available. Even if you and I preferred Cruz, and I think the more abstract sense, just in the context of where we're living right now with the Pirates organizationally, I think it was important to say, well, we got our guy here that we can build around, that we don't have to develop from the ground up and nail every step in the process, that, that he's pretty much already ready. Trey, that's exactly right. To me, I like the fact that they picked a lot of college pitchers because I see, Adam, I don't know that I see enough pitchers in their system that are ready to really help. And I'm not sure, you know, as you said, I'm not sure that they've developed some of these guys uh, to the point where we can trust them uh, to be a part of the rotation next year. So I look at it and I just say, I like what they did in the draft. They got an ace, you know. And I think they got a, you know, really took a shot at a bunch of other guys that if any of them can pan out, they'll probably get to the majors a little quicker than they would. And, you know, maybe they're guys that they, that they feel like they don't have to manipulate service time with, right, because they're not like their prized, coveted guys. And you can backfill your, your, your staff, your relievers, you know, the back end of your rotation. You might have been able to pick up one or two guys who can actually help you. So I, I liked what they did I liked what they did in the draft. It's now after the draft. I want to see what they're going to do before I decide whether or not they actually did the right things. Because as we've seen in the past, they don't always do the right things. They don't always do the right things. They don't always develop guys the right way. They don't always give guys the quick pathway to the to the majors. Uh, they don't always say service time, be, you know, be damned, this guy can help us. Uh, you know, bringing up schemes this year uh, uh, doesn't make a lot of sense uh, from the standpoint of if you want to try and shut him down a little bit because he has thrown a lot of pitches and make sure that. But next year, if your argument is next year, we're not ready to win, so therefore there's no reason to have him, you know, burn his service time or whatever, then guess what? You've failed. You've absolutely failed as an organization. Because if you're not ready to win next year, in year five, by the way, then when are we supposed to expect you to be ready to win? It's absolutely absurd if he's not in the rotation next year. And hopefully a couple of these other college guys that they took you know, it, at the very least, can it give you some bullpen help maybe in the second half of the season? Agreed, Paul. I'll get you out of here on this. Um, how soon? We're, we're starting the second half on Friday. Um, they have the Giants here at home at PNC Park. How soon do you need to see Andy Rodriguez and Quinn Priester before you start to get fussy? Well, uh, we're, we're at the All-Star break. We're past the halfway mark, and the halfway mark usually is about a week before the All-Star break. So now we passed the halfway mark. We've passed the All-Star break. Um, so we're, we're at about 90 games, maybe something like that, 41 and 42. or What are, what are they at? Like, I think they're 41 and 49, maybe. Is that the record? Something like that, yeah. Something like that. So we'll say 90 games. I'll just say this. I want to see those two guys play 60 games. So I'll give them about a week. And after that, what are you doing? What is the point? You've already made it clear that this season you've sort of punted on, that you're not, you're not going to contend this season. What is the point? You know, and, 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 and to me, I've said it a billion times, if you, you know, and of course he hasn't played, pitched real well the last couple of weeks, but if you don't trade Rich Hill and Carlos Santana and some of the guys you might get something for, then you're not, you're, you're not doing your due diligence. You know, uh, to me, I'd rather see the last two months Quinn Priester 
go to the mound every five days than Rich Hill. Because Rich Hill, uh, you know, okay, he's the difference between you winning, what, 78 games and, and, and or, I mean, he's the difference between you winning 72 games and 74 games maybe, okay? I, I'm just not that interested in, in, in that. I'm interested in seeing what they have for next year. It's why I've enjoyed Davis being up. I've enjoyed Gonzalez being up. Bring up Priester. Bring up Andy Rodriguez. Tell Austin Hedges and company to get in there and go, go on with their life's work, and let's see what these younger guys can do. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about Rich Hill, uh, Paul, is I was I was on the North Shore Drive with, with Chris. He eats a lot of innings, and, and I don't know who's going to cover those innings. I do want to see Priester, but some of those other guys that we were thinking were going to be here are not here because they can't be here because they're not performing. Contreras, Ortiz, Oviedo's teetering on the brink. I think they got to keep Rich Hill just to eat the innings. Um, but other than that, I, I completely agree with you. As long as, as you're not blocking them with these old veteran guys, I want to see these names that are close get here and, and see what they can do so we can start forming some opinions about where things are going to go next year. Paul, any final thoughts before we go here? No, no. I, like I said, I, I think that we've started to see a little bit of the plan of the Pirates come together. Right? I mean, here I am giving them credit. They, the, But – we, we've gotten to this point before. I, I need to see now, okay, now we're at this point. Every move from now until next March needs to be with the idea that 2024 we are going to try and contend for a playoff spot. I don't want to hear about kicking the can down the road anymore. I don't want to hear about, well, we can't bring up skeins because, you know, it doesn't make sense. This isn't a playoff team. Next year has to be a, a season where winning and losing truly matters. So every move they make between now and next March needs to be with that in mind. I agree, Paul. And uh, with that, I'm going to let you get out to Star Lake. You're going to see Posty tonight. I am. I'm interested. I'm very interested in what's happening. And I've already had several people ask me. And the, question, the answer is, no, I will not be smoking marijuana with all of the uh, 21-year-olds that will be there. But I will enjoy the show, I'm sure. I'm sure he puts on a great show. Yeah. I've never seen him in concert, so I'm sure it's a, it'll be a good show. All right. We'll enjoy Paul and everyone else. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you liked the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you enjoyed it on Apple Podcasts, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. For six months of digital access to post-gazette.com for just $6, click the link down in the description. 